0: amen friends last week we had with us lisa mo who led us in our worship last week and with so many things going on we didn't get to introduce her to you now we're introducing her to you she's right over there and has led us this morning we're thankful lisa for your work well, a few things I wanted to share with you before I start the sermon. I'll move through these as quickly as we can. Hopefully we have some more Seattle Pacific University students with us this morning. We invited them back this week because last week we weren't able to have lunch with them because they had a lunch back on campus after our worship service. So after worship this morning, down in the youth room, which you follow those same directions like you're going to the adult Sunday school rooms, out the story to the left, and then down the hall, then go downstairs into the end of that building, the far north side of that building, and that's where we're going to be having brunch for all of our Seattle Pacific students that are with us today, and we have a few adults there joining you, and we'll have a good time and conversation together. Pastor Camille and I look forward to welcoming you in there for a few minutes. Uh, This next Sunday on the 24th, that's a week from today, we're going to be having a time of blessing for Pastor Stephanie, as you all Heard this week via email, Pastor Stephanie has uh, made a decision to leave us here at FFMC and move on to new ministry. And so we want to have a time to celebrate and give thanks first. And we'll be praying over her next Sunday and we'll have a reception after worship so we can affirm her and celebrate her as she moves into this next season of her life and ministry. We're going to be starting another new member class. We call it our New Beginnings class. It starts on the 26th of September. And if you'd like to know about becoming a member here at FFMC or if you'd like to learn about how to be a part of one of our Connects small groups, we'd love to welcome you to that class. Pastor Sebignon and I are gonna be teaching that class together again, and we hope to welcome you. There's information in the newsletter so you can be there. And finally, the last thing I wanna tell you is about youth group. Are there any youth here? Make a big noise, Serena. <laughs> exactly, She's, her voice is giving her problems today, so I, I totally put her on the spot. So, Youth Group is going to be starting on Wednesday night, and that's going to be on the 27th of September, and uh, we're going to have good, uh, a good time together. I'll be there helping to lead, and uh, it'll be a good gathering, uh, starting every Wednesday night, starting on the 27th. So that's one week from this Wednesday. And so, uh, Youth Group is on. I used to be a youth director for 16 years, wow. back in the 90s. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Serena, pray for me. <laughs> All right, pray for me. We're gonna have a good time together We're starting a new series this morning as pastor Camille shared with you called vitality And so for four weeks, we're gonna be talking about how we can learn to live a vital life And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that we want to help find the balance between the work of work and the work of rest and This isn't a four-week series about the work of rest It's a four week series about how we find the balance between those two things. I call it the work of rest because at least in my experience, I'm finding that getting time to rest requires a bit of work. And so we have to think about it constructively. We have to think about it intentionally, not accidentally. So rest is not just the leftover time we have in our life, but rather it's time we set apart so that we can experience rest and renewal In God's spirit and so we're starting today and we're going to be going for four weeks and the scripture text We're going to use come from the Jewish scripture or the Old Testament from what are called by many the minor prophets Let me assure you. There's nothing minor about them Matter of fact in the Jewish tradition. There is no such thing as a major and minor prophet. There's just the prophets And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be uh, talking together about passages of scripture you've probably never heard of before, including the one today, Haggai. Anyone here a big fan of Haggai? Okay, I got a couple hands. People like Haggai. It's the third book from the end of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, and it's a book that not many people read very often. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Haggai and Haggai's word for us that we need to hear today. So I want to start by talking about this, that what we want to recognize when we talk about Haggai, and we're talking about time today and priorities, time and priorities. In Haggai's time, he came as a prophet 20 years after the Jewish people had returned from their exile. Now, I just dumped a lot of biblical history on you in one sentence there. There was a period in time. Where the the Judeans, who we call Jewish people or the Jews, were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. Their city was destroyed. The temple that Solomon had built was laid ruin, and they were taken to Babylon in an exile. Seventy years later, or so, they were able to return from Babylon, which by then had a regime change into the, the Persian Empire and they returned back to Jerusalem, faced with a temple that had been destroyed, homes that had been wiped out, their family and ancestral lands that had been inhabited now by other people. And so as they come back, they go about the work of rebuilding their lives. After 20 years of being back in the land, the people have built houses and homes, and they've begun to get their economy back on track and the ways in which they sustain themselves, but there's one thing they haven't quite gotten around to yet and that is rebuilding the temple that King Solomon had built that was destroyed by the Babylonians. So when Haggai comes along, he says, well, you've been here 20 years. And what have you to show for it? There's an interesting verse in that passage in Haggai chapter one that Sophia read. Verse two, where God says, this people says that now is not the time to rebuild the house of the Lord this people you hear the pronoun there not my people God says this people it's An interesting use of the pronoun my means possessive right and throughout the, the body of Jewish scripture we read again and again where God talks about the people as my people but in Haggai chapter 1 it's not my people it's this people there's a separation and a differentiation And that has less to do with what God wants and more to do with what the people want. God's priority is to be in fellowship with God's people. The people's priority is, well, maybe not that. And this is where Haggai comes from. We all know what this is like, right? We know what it's like to have important things we need to do, valuable things we need to do, and somehow we just never seem to get around to it. Sometimes it's procrastination, sometimes it's just lack of priorities, whatever it happens to be. As a matter of fact, sometimes when you have to do some kind of work you don't want to do, there's ways we try to spruce it up a little bit. This paper on the role of accounting in the public expenditure of monetary policy in the first century Roman AD Empire, if you just put in front of it Harry Potter and the, somehow it comes to life, and it seems worthwhile to do. So we have all sorts of ways of coaxing ourselves into doing things that we know are important, but it's easier to do other things instead, and that's exactly what's happened here in Haggai. Now, as I've gotten older, I'm the ripe old age of 55 now. As I've gotten older, what I realize is that time passes with great speed. Have you noticed this? When I was younger, things seemed to take an eternity. And so I said, maybe, maybe it's just me and all the older people I talk to. And then I decided, no, there's something to this, so I did a little bit of research, and here's what I found. In an article that was written just two years ago by neuroscientists James Broadway and Brittany Sandoval, they write about what's called the holiday paradox. And here's how the holiday paradox works. They write this our brain encodes new experiences but not familiar ones into memory and our retrospective judgment of time is based on how many new memories we create over a certain period in other words the more new memories we build on a weekend getaway the longer that trip will seem in hindsight. So one of the reasons time passes so fast for us as we get older is because we're ingrained with familiar experiences. And the more experienced we get, the more familiar we get. And in some ways, it takes work to become a little more adventuresome to find new experiences we haven't had before. When you're a child, everything's a new experience to you. And that's why time seems to pass at a slower rate than when you get older when you're dealing with familiar experiences all the time. Could this be maybe something that has to do with this passage of scripture, has to do with something in our lives as we get into rhythms of living as adults that somehow we forget? We forget the power of amassing new experiences and how we actually need to seek those experiences out in our life. So we're talking about Haggai, Haggai offers some advice about how we set priorities and I'd like to offer this to you in five questions, five questions I think we can all ask about our priorities. And so let's take a look at what Haggai might be saying to us and how God is speaking in this text. So the first question we can ask is this, what really matters? Now in this particular text Haggai is trying to help the people understand through this word that he brings forth from the Lord that what God wants is to be close to God's people God wants to be close and part of having a house or a temple there in Jerusalem signifies that closeness the word used in Haggai chapter 1 for the house of the lord isn't the word temple it's the hebrew word literally for house bet that god's looking for a home and without this in a sense the text is telling us that god is without home without location without place and god longs to be close and so what haggai is saying what god is saying to people what really matters is the relationship between god and god's people And so the same is true for us when we ask this question what really matters. So what really matters? Is it the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ? Is it your retirement plans? Is it your career? Is it school? Now those things are important. But the question that Haggai brings to the people and that God is asking them is what really matters. Now there's another question that we hear in Haggai and it's this one. What really matters for others? What really matters for others? I have to hand it to Sophia because we handed out one of those texts today that has all sorts of weird names in it like Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua the son of Jehozadak so on and so forth well done by the way you nailed them all all right there are scholars who argue that this particular passage of scripture in Haggai this first oracle of Haggai is not necessarily addressed to all the people but that it could be primarily addressed to Zerubbabel who's the governor over this Jewish settlement back in Jerusalem And Joshua who's the high priest the two leaders of the Jewish people and that Haggai suggests that they live in paneled houses that are really nice big screen TV lots of beds and baths it's really nice it's been on HGTV it's they're cool houses while maybe the rest of the people haven't lived in as comfortable conditions and God doesn't even have a house And so the message to the leadership is to think about this question, what really matters for others? What are the vital relationships of our life and how are we present in them? Oftentimes we think of our lives in a silo of ourselves. And what we have to begin thinking about is how do we serve others, lead others through service? How are we demonstrating the grace and gifts of God and the priority of God in our lives and the priority of God in others' lives as well. A third question that Haggai gives us is what matters most? Now see, there was what really matters, what really matters for others, and what matters most. And what matters most has to do with, back to this conversation about why God doesn't have a house, and yet the leaders do and the people do, and what that disconnect means In this particular story for Haggai. What I don't want you to lose sight of here is that when you read this text that God almost comes across as somewhat bitter. You guys live in cool houses and I have nothing. But read beneath the words just a little bit. Try to pull toward the meaning of what's being conveyed here. What God wants more than anything is to be close to his people. God wants intimacy and relationship and connection with his people. And God is doing overtime work to get into that relationship with the people. And the people are saying, God, has it been 20 years already? Wow. Huh. How'd that happen? It's not that there was any like deliberate malice on the part of Zerubbabel or Joshua or the people. Their sin... And our sin is being passive, just allowing the circumstance and the calendar to flip from one page to the other, and not being fully attentive to how much God wants to be in connection with us. This for us is the heartbeat of the Wesleyan movement, the Methodist movement, of a God who's always coming at us, a God who's always seeking to be near us, a God who's always reaching out to us. And what Haggai is suggesting is now is the time for the people to turn back to their God once again. The fourth question, who matters most? Who matters most? Well, this has become pretty easy at this point, hasn't it? If you're Haggai, who matters most? You you can say it. God, I heard a mumble somewhere, thank you Nolan, God matters most. And that if that priority can happen, then everything else can begin to fall into place a little bit. In verses 5 and 6 of the passage you heard read, um, the prophet brings a message from God that says, consider your ways, uses that phrase four different times in this text, And at the end of that passage, what God says is that um, you have food, but you're never satisfied. You have clothes, but you're never warm enough. You have coins, but you put them into a purse that has holes in it. There is a sense in which God is describing for the people this vicious cycle they're caught in of acquisition and disposal do you see the ecosystem acquisition disposal they try to get to have to possess and it turns to the vapor that their lives do not possess any sense of traction kind of digging in and having a sense of foundation at all it's like you work 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 for what to put your money in a purse with holes in it who matters most Of course God does and for us God needs to matter the most so the fifth question what actions can I take well I'm gonna suggest four of them very quickly and I'm not gonna talk about them I'm just gonna read them to you here's four pastoral suggestions consider one doing a diary for a day or even a week about how you spent your time not your calendar but a diary, so looking back and saying, how did I use my time today? Another idea you might want to try. This is a hard one. Examine how much of your monthly income you're giving away. Because I find that people's priorities are dominantly revealed in their calendar and in their bank account. Those are the things that matter to them. Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, there what? your heart will be also." Those help us. Third, take a moment and make like a line graph, you know, with, a, with a, a Y and an X axis on it, and draw a line over time. You might say over the last year, or maybe after the last five years, or whatever, and draw a line of your spiritual life on it. And think about the moments in which you felt closest to God, and have your line go up toward the top there. And then maybe in the moments in your life where you've just felt the most distant, the most apart, kind of draw your line downward there. And after you've done that, take a look and say, you know, God, what is, it, what is it about this graph that helps me understand your presence? How were you with me in those high moments of my life? And how were you with me in those low moments of my life? Last thing I might ask you to do is consider your balance of time between work and rest. Consider the balance of time between work and rest. Now, granted, I know I'm looking out at a congregation that's filled with some retired people. I see you. After 30 years in this line of work, what I've found is that retired people are usually the busiest people I know. And so what happens is life gets filled with all these activities. And all this busyness and the comings and goings that we have, how is it we're holding that in balance with times for rest? And how does that reveal our priorities? Now, I mentioned every week we're going to take a moment to have a little conversation with a person in our church that is living this out in their own life. And so all four weeks of this series, we're going to be having a little interview. Welcome to the interview. I thought about naming this something like an alternative between two ferns if you know the show I'm talking about. But I decided this will work just fine. Between two candles, maybe we'll call it that. And I want to invite Dijaho Gonhasu to come up. And she's gonna talk with me about priorities. Dijaho is a professor at uh, Seattle Pacific. She's gonna sit down with me for a few minutes. And we're gonna talk a little bit about how she does some of the work we've been talking about. So everyone welcome Dr. Gonhasu. Ah, well, thanks for coming up here.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: No, don't thank me yet. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question I want to ask you, we've been talking about priorities. And so I want to ask you about some of the critical practices of your spiritual life. What are they, and how do you make them a priority?
1: Um, first of all, I'm thankful for the life that God has given me. Uh, In terms of priorities, there are many of them, uh, but I will put them in three categories and they are very interconnected. Uh, Personal level, family, and community. At a personal level, uh, I have uh, times of solitude. Uh, I love to be uh, alone and start the day Um, by myself before I leave my bed to connect with God uh, through prayer, uh, reading of the scripture. Um, I also like in terms of solitude to do journaling. It helps me to reflect and to pray about my life. Um, Sometimes my time of solitude can be made of everything uh, depending on the day. Other times uh, it may be two of these things, but I do make sure that before I start my day, I have that time of uh, where I'm quiet in the mm-hmm. presence of God to just invite God into different activities and different interactions that I'll be having during that day. Um, at the level of family, uh, My husband and I have decided to have regular family worship. So on a daily basis, we get together with our children before we go to bed to worship. We sing, we pray, we open the scripture uh, and learn from it and pray for each other. Uh, Sometimes our family time can turn into a family meeting or family conferencing where we open our heart to each other and reflect on two main questions. What are we doing well in the family? What do we need to do better? Mm. So we like to share those moments and I'm very thankful that it's a moment not just for the children, but also it has helped us to sometimes bite our tongue and just apologize, you know, for something we have done. For the level of uh, uh, community, uh, you all know that being part of uh, the church is very important for us, fellowship with other believers, uh, not just to be present, but also to be actively present and being using our gifts and talent to serve. Um, I want to go back quickly to the level of uh, personal Um, I mentioned solitude, I also have accountability, and I have service. Mm. Uh, Accountability, I am very thankful that wherever I am, God has helped me to find close friends in Christ with whom I can be transparent, Mm. and I mean being transparent, being able to just be and open my heart to share what is happening. Um, I, in terms of service as a professor, uh, I see that as a calling to pray and be there for my students. In fact, I have open door uh, policy where students are allowed to walk in without appointment during my office hour, and I may, depending on how the Lord leads me, I could pray, but I. I really like God to help me to discern yeah. how does he want me to uh, respond at that specific moment. Uh, I volunteer as a mediator with a court system in uh, King County uh, to co-mediate for small claim mediation. Uh, it's my gift to work with families, to work in terms of uh, conflict resolution so i like to do that so there are many things but i will stop with those those one and maybe you have other questions for me
0: <laughs> so i appreciate how you frame that you know around your personal kind of devotional life and your family and community so in in the world in which you you live in a higher education it's not just the time in the classroom there's time grading there's time meeting with students so it's I find that time sometimes can be a little uh, permeable. It's hard to have boundaries between work and not work. So how do you make time for these things that are the most important for you?
1: Uh, I would say one thing that has been very helpful uh, in making the time is why I do them. Mm. Uh, I had several phases in my life there was a time, and certainly we all had that, where doing those things where I was doing them because my parents said so. But then there was that time when it switched from my parents said so to because God wants me to do that. And that was during my years in middle school, going to high school. Uh, but again, at that time, it was more of a fear of punishment. Mm. Uh, As I continue with my journey with Christ, uh, I came to know Christ when I was in my senior year in high school, going to college. So during that time, uh, I have several mentors. I was involved in uh, several things at the church, and gradually the Lord moved me from that sense of doing it for the sake of, for fear of punishment, to doing it as a response to God's love for me. So I kind of, today, I imagine uh, God in in a king in a palace, everything is ready, beautifully set up, and inviting me to be part of it. So for me, doing these things is is, uh, participating and responding to the fact that God has loved me, wants to connect with me, And I only miss out if I'm not doing that. So it has helped me a lot to organically have those things into my life. Of course, for instance, there are moments where the solitary time is not happening in the morning. So I may have my phone in the kitchen and listen to a worship song while I'm cooking and be praying and nobody even know around me that it is happening. So in fact, these things I'm sharing, uh, some of them are my secrets. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it has helped me a lot to organically move them yeah. around. Uh, and when I think about uh, what I do with the family, uh, family has been in the mind of God since creation. Mm. And when we remember what uh, God said, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, These commandments that I'm giving you, put them on your heart and press them on your children. Talk about them when you are at home, have them on your doorstep. So I I grew to, I, I. believe that family is the first center for discipleship so because uh, God has helped me my husband and I to embrace that it's part of our life just to gather and to worship
0: yeah so you have a gift and a unique perspective in that in in your life you've uh, been able to live and work and be a follower of Jesus in two different cultures and so I'm curious, you know, in terms of the, the African culture and the American culture, of which you are part of both, how do you see this discussion of priorities different between those cultures?
1: Um, I would say that it would depend on the person's dedication and mm. commitment with God. Um, In terms of African culture, we do have in most cultures in Africa, you have that sense of uh, being family-oriented, being community-oriented. So you may have uh, many communal practices. And out of those communal practices, you get the motivation of continuing with yourself in your private life. So you may have, for instance, a Bible study group having uh, a a night night wash. Mm -hmm. You may have them organizing group fasting on a monthly basis. And the sense of uh, accountability within the community of faith is very strong. And sometimes there is no filter to challenge you to grow, or to challenge you to do something mm. specifically, if that group has embraced the fact of working together with Christ, mm. yeah. So there, I, I can mention uh, some of these things, and I'm sure if I were in Benin, I think I'm not busy yet. <laughs> <laughs> if I were in Benin, maybe I would sit down in a church service once a month, we will be so busy knowing our calling, knowing our gift. We will receive a lot of invitation to teach, to preach, to encourage different groups of people. Yeah, so we'll be very busy. Um, Yeah, so there are many things uh, between these two cultures, like for instance, even the sharing of faith. Mm. You can have a prayer group or a Bible study group that will organize themselves to do door-to-door evangelism. Mm. Those things are very common uh, within the community of faith. Uh, And given also our background, we culturally, even without Christ, Mm. many African cultures are very religious. So that translates easily into Christian faith, When they do come to make a commitment, you see the passion, you see the dedication. Um, uh, Those things are very helpful and very encouraging to to continue to serve and to grow.
0: Wonderful. That's really helpful for us to hear, I think. And some lessons maybe we can learn from that. So the last question I have for you, and this is where you get to preach the sermon. (laughs) As you look out at our congregation if you could give them any encouragement about how to build better priorities in their life, what would you tell them?
1: Um, I would say that, uh, first of all, I'm reminded of Paul's word. In Philippians 2 verse 13, Paul said, for God works in you to will and to act. In order to fulfill his purpose in you. So I think through that verse, it's a great encouragement to just know that the ability to even want to do it and the possibility to do it, it's already given. It's a gift. And all that God is inviting us to do is to say, Take my heart. Here I am, these are things that are not allowing me to do what I need to do. Take my heart and transform it. And when we are able to really allow God to connect with us, it's almost like putting ourselves on on the table of a surgeon. So the heart surgeon who is Christ, to open it, to change, to transform, to heal. It is beautiful. It is beautiful, it's restful. It, it allows us to connect to the source of life. And for me, those has been my great motivation. And, and having so many mentors around me has also been uh, wonderful. Uh, in fact, I remember Susan Wesley. Uh, she had 19 children, but Committing herself to the spiritual formation of her children. And today the whole world is benefiting from the work of John Wesley, is starting with Suzanne Wesley, the mother. So I want to encourage all of us parents to, to be willing to allow God to use us so that our families will become center where Christ will shape through worshipers.
0: Amen. Amen. Before we get up, I'm going to put a passage of Scripture up on the screen for you. I want you to read it to yourself. Jesus speaks of that which we have talked about today. let's pray together father we thank you thank you always for your presence that is beckoning us you desire so much to draw close to us and God we confess that there's moments in our life by neglect or forgetfulness when we just haven't made you the priority that you need to be I'm so thankful for and for her, her witness and her life and the ways in which you have been at work in her through these years and continue to be at work in her. We pray for abundant blessing upon her in these days, for her and her family and for us as the community and one of the communities she is a part of. We ask your continued anointing and blessing upon her for all things and upon us as we seek your kingdom. And your righteousness, for in doing so, all these things will be added unto us. For this, we praise you and thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's thank Dr. Dejahol Gunhouseu for joining us. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to turn to a time of prayer over communion when we gather around this meal, we simply recognize that this meal is because God has made us his priority. We have become the most important thing to God. And so God asks of us to give thanks over the gift he's given us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for this table that is now set and for the opportunity to gather and share in this holy meal. We pray, God, that you would remind us of that very night when Jesus took the bread, and after he blessed and broke it, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And how he took the cup after supper, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Brought your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here, And on these gifts of bread and wine, may they be for us the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. We thank you, God, for your extravagant gift in Jesus Christ, and we pray, God, that you would enable us to be your gift to the world as we share in this meal, For we pray as Jesus taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done